And so uh, verse 15 says, and when, now this is a marker. We've talked about our markers before. You've got the beginning of sorrows, which describe the general conditions that exist previous to the coming of the Lord, but leading up to it. And then you have this marker. This is the second marker in verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Okay, so this marker is a reference to a specific event, not to a general sign, but to a specific event that is yet future. Uh, that is described in the book of Daniel chapter 9 and in other places as well, uh, in which this figure, again, remember, we, we studied, we, we spent some time studying, even though it's not in Matthew 24, we studied the Antichrist and what the Bible says about this figure, who, uh, this person who will rise uh, to prominence and to power. And uh, but anyway, this Antichrist, this figure, is the, the main character in this, uh, in this marker, this, this uh, temporal marker, if you will, uh, the abomination of desolation in which this person will go into the temple of God in Jerusalem and will, uh, and will cause the sacrifice current at that time to cease. And he will, at that time, he will proclaim him, himself to be worthy of worship, himself to be God. And the Bible is very, very clear about that. Sometimes these things are difficult. I think um, from a human perspective, some of the things we read in the Bible like this are, it might be difficult for us to make the connection between where we are now and where we will be. But um, imagine someone, imagine, is there any leader in the world at this moment any person in the world that you, even in your wildest imagination, could imagine themselves proclaiming themselves to be, in essence, God, in essence, deity, a man, and the world actually, actually following through to give this man worship. Is there anyone in the world you could imagine in your wildest fantasy that that would be the case? That, that, that would be the case. I think the natural inclinations to say, no, that's impossible. But that's not true. That's not true. Here's why. Because the, the, basic human, the basic nature of mankind is not any different than it ever was. And given the right set of circumstances, men will do crazy things. Crazy things. And... You see this more and more, things you thought, I mean, I know I've heard in the last two years, things that we thought could never happen did. We saw them happen. And although they were very small in comparison to what we're talking about here, but it did tell us that what we assume is impossible is not as impossible as it seems. And of course, I'm referring to a lot of things associated with COVID. Um, but... Nevertheless, it doesn't matter if we, can, if we can make a connection between what is happening now and what will happen because there will be exceptional things that will take place which will set the stage for what happens later. Um, and we'll see some of those things in just a minute. Um, okay, so the marker in verse 15 is this event. Event. And we talked about the, Daniel's 70th week. 
in prophecy. This last week of this great prophecy that ends with what is the end of the world, that is when the Lord returns, this last week of seven years, and in the middle of the seven years, uh, this covenant that the Antichrist makes will be broken, and that breaking of the covenant is what we read in verse 15. Okay, So this is a marker. This is a marker of time. And this is where we get the idea of the seven-year tribulation. It's not an idea. It's clearly spoken of in the Scripture. And why it's divided into two different parts. And so we'll see that in just a minute. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 16, uh, Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, and let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then, notice, notice the time word, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall, shall show great signs and wonders. Now there's the key right there. Right there. This time that, we, that we'll look at in a little bit, uh, where we, some of the things that we read in the Scripture, we're like, man, there's no way that people would give worship to some guy. Uh, all the world give worship to some, some guy. Well, we haven't been to the place where this same guy can do things that other people can't do. Miraculous things. Because our society in particular has become so secularized, so materialistic. And by that I mean... We've, we think that the only things there are is things that we can see and touch and prove with science. And that's just not the, not the case. That's just not the case. Uh, the supernatural is something people are, are interested in, but most people, or a lot of people, they don't put any stock in anything supernatural, be it God or any other thing. And so... Uh, 24, verse 24 is very important. Verse 25, Behold, I have told you before, Jesus unequivocally, unreservedly says, I'm telling you, this is going to happen. I'm telling you 2,000 years in advance, this is what's going to happen. And then he says, verse number 26, Wherefore, if, ye, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, Be, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. All right, let's pray. Our Lord, I just want to confess to you, Lord, that we need your help and grace as we study the Word to get through the verses and the Scriptures that you want us to get through. And I just pray that you would teach us all and that you would guide uh, my words to help your people this morning. Uh, I pray that you would, uh, you would guide us through the Scriptures, help us to see and understand what you've said. And Lord, there, there are no doubt things that we'll cover that maybe aren't as clear, and we're okay with that. Uh, we just want to, uh, to understand what you want us to understand clearly. 
And uh, Lord, but I pray especially to help us to believe it and to respond to it in faith, knowing that just as you've prophesied and told before of many, uh, many things that came to pass just as you said, so these things that we read that are yet future will also come to pass, as terrible as they are. But Lord, we look to you, Lord. We're, we're not looking for wrath, but we're looking for your return. And Lord, we thank you that you're, you are coming for us and that you love us. And we pray that you bless our Sunday school time. We, we uh, yield it to you. We offer it to you for your blessing and help and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we covered Daniel's 70th week. We, we read our passage. I want to turn your attention now as we try to move forward. Don't forget the things we've already studied because we will have to come back to them. Look at verse number 16. Now, you have the time marker in verse 15. This event, the abomination of desolation, which Daniel tells us, the, all right, can, can anybody, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call on, no, I'm not going to call on Rita. I'll, I want to call on Rita and put her on the spot, but I'm not going to. What is the boundary of this tribulation period in, in time? What is the boundary? What defines the seven years prophetically? Come on now, come on now. David, of course. No, 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 I'm saying, why is it seven years? I mean, that's right. But why is it seven years? Why is it at that, that length of time? What gives that length of time its definition in the Scripture that we, we studied last week? Hint, hint. It is, the, it is the covenant that this man of sin, the wicked, the Antichrist, makes. It's a seven-year covenant that Daniel describes. Now, what happens in the middle of that covenant? He breaks that covenant, and that's when he goes into the temple of God and... and, um, and and proclaims himself to be God. And we read that in Daniel, and we read that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, okay? So that's the breaking point, okay? That's the, that's the marker that I mentioned a minute ago, and that is the trigger for what we find in verse 16. Look at what it says. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Now, who lives in Judea traditionally? The Jews, correct. So this is not necessarily a reference to Christian people or even Christian Jews. This is just a reference to Jews in, Jews in general, okay? Because there are both, at, at this time, just like now, there are believing Jews in Judea, and there are unbelieving Jews. I, I'm referring to believing in Christ, okay? Let not him which is on the housetop, uh, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, and woe unto them that are with child and to them which give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation. All right, so this event, which occurs in the, at the midpoint of this seven years, which is three and a half years in, is the trigger for the Jews to flee. So, first thing I want you to see and what this, these verses cover is the flight of the Jews. So hold your place here and look at the book of Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And I want to show you a parallel passage where this is mentioned. We'll go through this fast. I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Again, it was never my, was never my point to cover every, every little fine detail of 
the coming of the Lord and all the events, and you'll see that in a minute. But in Revelation 12, you have this great wonder that John in his prophecy sees. And it covers, it's actually a summary. It's actually a long summary um, of kind of the, 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 the overview or the 30,000 foot view of the purposes of God. Verse 1 of chapter 12 says this, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. So this is obviously not literal. This is figurative. I've never seen a woman wearing the sun. Okay, so these are the kinds of things that help us to, to see, all right, this is symbolism. This is not hard, okay? The moon under her feet and upon her, of her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, what is the... What is the most prominent place you find the, 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 the number 12? What In relation to what? To 12 tribes of Israel. Of course, you have the 12 months of the calendar, but the 12 tribes of Israel. And this woman, Israel is often referred to as woman. This is Israel. I can prove it. Verse 2 says, She being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. So this is a symbolism of Israel expecting a baby. She's in labor. And then verse 3, there appeared another wonder in heaven, a great red dragon. I'm kind of skipping a little bit. Seven heads, ten horns. This is obviously Satan. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and cast him down, did cast him down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to deliver her child as soon as it was born. Who is the woman's child? Verse number 5. And she brought forth a man child. So it's a man. Who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God into his throne. Who is the child? Huh? Christ. How do we know that? Because the idea of a ruler who rules all nations with a rod of iron is, is a prophetic reference to Jesus. All right? From Psalm 2, I think. I think it's Psalm 2. So this is Jesus. Of course, this is symbolic. But this, So Israel gives birth to Jesus because Jesus was born from the tribe of Judah in Israel. And notice what it says. It says he, he, he was born, and it indicates as soon as he was born, the devil was ready to, we, to, to devour him. Of course, we know that was true. You think of Herod. You think of Pilate. You think of Judas. You think of all those who tried to kill Jesus while he was on the earth. But in, the Bible says instead of the devil uh, devouring him, he was caught up to God. In other words, he died as it was prophesied. And we studied that in great detail. He was buried and he rose again. And then after 40 days, he ascended. He ascended. So he was caught up to God, which is where Jesus is now, on the right hand of the Father. But notice what verse 6 says. So as you can tell, this is a, this is a very broad summary of a lot of time, right? You're talking about Israel and then Jesus being born and then His resurrection and ascension. Verse 6, And the woman, Israel, fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there, notice the number, a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's interesting. Quite a specific thing to be mentioned in such a broad and general statement. 
1,260 days, right? Now, if you divide that by 360, which is the number of days in a year at, at this time before they had the, the, the five days they added extra, you get three and a half, three and a half years. Three and a half, we know, is a reference to half of the tribulation, which, which begins, this period begins, the marker is when the, at the abomination of desolation, which we read in Matthew 24. So that is the trigger where the Lord says, those that be in Judea need to run, need to run, okay? They run, this verse says they run, they flee to a place prepared to God for three and a half years. And then it describes a war in heaven, the devil is cast out, assuming to be at the same time. It talks about those that, that were killed by the devil when he was cast into the earth. And then look at verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast onto the earth, he persecuted the woman, that's Israel, which brought forth a man-child. This is the devil persecuting Israel, okay? And to the woman were given two great wings of an eagle, uh, two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. A time, one year, times, two years, and half a time, half a year. That's three and a half. That's the same as this, which you can't see. That's the same as this. Now, you, you might ask yourself, what's the issue with the word? Why didn't you just say time? Well, an interesting fact is in the Cambodian language, there is a way to refer to a year without saying a year. And in some languages, this is, a true, this is true. In other words, it's a, it's a word that references a cycle rather than a year. And in Cambodia, the word is kuop. And a lot of times, like for Robert, he's, he's what? Three. So you would say, you would say, Robert Guat Bai instead of Bai Chanam, which would be year, Bai because it's referring to a revolution of his life by the year. And so that's kind of how I relate this, this term times, because you'll see it in other places too. But the idea is it's referring to a year. It's referring to a year of time. So in two places in Revelation 12, the Bible says that Israel flees. And they have a place where they are protected from the devil's persecution for three and a half years. That is from the midpoint of the tribulation until about the end of the tribulation. Now, this is important. They're protected until the end of this, this period, which is marked by Jesus himself returning and saving them. Okay, that's the key. Okay. Go back to Matthew, if you would. So that's the flight of Israel. Next, we're going to look at verse number 23. We're in the same context. In verse 21, the Lord uses this marker of the midpoint of the tribulation. He says, now this is the time that's called great tribulation. Great tribulation. Verse 23, if, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. All right, this is to be made, this, is, this is, uh, should be made as distinctive from what we read earlier in Matthew, which is the general conditions. We read that in the earlier part of Matthew, 
where there, there would be many false prophets and false Christs. This, that was general, and we, we covered that already. <laughs> but then this is specific. Notice what it says in verse 24. And there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. All right, now look at, as the companion, look at Revelation chapter 13. We were just in 12, look at 13. This is talking about, this portion describes the great tribulation and specifically the false prophets and miracle working deceivers that will be on the earth at that time. You say, I don't know how that's possible. Well, there's going to be a lot of things that happen during the tribulation that, you, that have never happened. In fact, it says in 20, Matthew 24, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. You know what that means? There will be things happening that have never happened before. So it's not surprising, therefore, that people are like, I can't imagine, I can't, that, that just can't happen. I can't imagine that happening. Exactly. This is the first time they've happened. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Jesus said. Chapter 13 is another vision John has. Verse number one says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, which in chapter 12 we saw was a reference to the devil. And verse 2 says, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth is the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, from chapter 12, we just read, gave him his power and his seat in great authority. Verse 4, or verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So this is a man, a figure. We've already studied him, and we've covered this chapter as well. This is the Antichrist, okay? And he gets his power from the devil himself. Notice verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue, how long does it say? Forty and two months. That's three and a half years. Okay? That's the, that's the second half of the tribulation starting with that event where he goes into the temple. Now, what does this man do? Verse 7 says, He wars against the saints and overcomes them. That speaks of a great persecution. Did, did we study that? Yes, we studied the great persecution that will take place during this time. Now, look at verse 11. And I beheld another beast. This one is less known, lesser known. So you have the devil, the great red dragon in chapter 12. You have the beast coming out, of the, uh, coming out of the sea at the beginning of chapter 13 who gets his power from the, the dragon. And then you have the second beast. Notice what it says. Coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. 
Verse 12 says, And he exerciseth all the power of the first beasts before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of, of the beast, saying to them that they that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, that is a statue, which had the wound by a sword and did live, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Okay, so here's what's happening. You have the devil, chapter, chapter 12. You have the Antichrist, who has his power from the devil, this figure that we studied, chapter 13. But then you have this second man who has power to do wonders and miracles in the sight of men, supernatural signs. And those signs, he uses those signs to deceive people into worshiping the, the Antichrist. That's his purpose. All right? So... As a result of these signs, not as a result of logic, but as a result of these signs, people will follow and worship the Antichrist. The Bible says the world wonders at him. And then you've got this, the mark of the beast, and that's, that's mentioned in this passage, which is, a, I guess, a symbol. I don't know what it is, but it's a symbol, anyway, of that worship and allegiance to the beast. That's, I think that's, we could safely say that. All right. What will men do when a person performs miraculous and supernatural signs in front of them? What will men do in that case? You see, this, this kind of, we, we talked about this before, but this kind of highly secularized, disbelieving society that doesn't believe in anything supernatural that is so common and, and seems to be prominent in our day, that is not going to stay forever. And people are going to worship this figure, the Antichrist, and they're going to do so by, by means of these great signs and wonders. But it also tells us that not everything that's supernatural is of God. Just like in Egypt, the soothsayers and sorcerers in Egypt, when Moses was telling Pharaoh the, to let God tell him to let the people go, Moses did a sign, then the soothsayers did a sign. Moses did a sign, then the soothsayers. And it came to a point where, of course, the, the, the magicians couldn't keep up. But but they were doing things that were miraculous, and those things were the means by which Pharaoh was deceived into continually holding the people of Israel in Egypt. That's in the book of Exodus. So this is the false prophet. That's what it's called, mentioned in Matthew 24. This is the false prophet. So these are the conditions during this second half of the tribulation. Israel flees. They're being actively sought out and persecuted by the Antichrist. And the world is just standing in awe and worshiping by the millions, no doubt, this figure, 
because of these great signs and wonders which we haven't seen. None of us have seen those things, but they will happen. And they will be so strong that even, it says, the Bible says in Matthew 24, if it were possible, they, they shall deceive the very elect. Now, it's not possible, but if it were, these signs are, are, are powerful to deceive people. Now, if you look at Matthew 24 and verse, you'll notice I skipped 21 and 22. Ari, can you get Daniel 12, 1? And Joshua, can you get Joel 2, 2 for me? Now, Matthew 24, verse 21, the Bible says this, For then shall be great tribulation. Tribulation just means trouble, distress such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. So this will be a unique time, a fearful time, all right? This time that the Lord describes, it's only in two verses, but the book of Revelation gives a great deal more detail about what will happen, the events, the terrible events that will happen. You think of COVID was bad? You think of the uh, war in Ukraine? None of, that, is, that is child's play compared to what is described in the Scripture for this time. All right, Ari, can you read Daniel 12, 1? be delivered. That's talking about Israel, right? That verse is in the context of the coming of the Lord. We've actually covered some of those verses in Daniel 12. Notice it says, that time will be unlike any other time that's ever happened. Joel 2.2. Read it for me, Josh. Stop, Stop a second. I'm sorry. This is a reference to the day of the Lord, which is also, um, it also references the uh, coming of Christ. Notice what it says in Joel 2.2. It says, it's a day that is unlike any other. Unlike any other. A dark day. A scary day. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit this to you. Um, and then we'll probably have to pick this up next week. This is the great tribulation. So many people will die. Verse 22 of Matthew 24 says, so many people will die that if the Lord allowed this period to persist, no flesh would be saved. In other words, everybody would die on the earth. Now, what this handout I gave you is, what it does is it summarizes what the book of Revelation says happens during these three and a half years, the Great Tribulation. There are seven seals. There's a picture of Jesus opening a scroll, which is sealed at certain points. So, it, so basically, a scroll is sealed in such a way with a wax seal so that you can open only part of it until you hit the next seal. 
And then that seal has to be broken to, to reveal more, and then the next seal to reveal more. That's that idea. And so you have seven seals are broken by Jesus in heaven. Then you have seven trumpets are blown by the angels to announce these judgments. And then you have seven vials, or like a bottle, of, uh, and what's in these vials are the wrath of God. Okay, here's what it is. <clears throat> the seven seals, there's a white horse who's a conqueror, a red horse, war, black horse is famine, a pale horse of death of one quarter of humanity. That's about two, almost two billion people, right? As it stands now. There's uh, earthquakes, there's cosmic signs of the, the sun, the moon, uh, the, the sun, the earth, and the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then you have hail, fire, and blood. You have things falling out of, out of what we would call space into the sea, on the land, harming the water, fresh water, salt water, destroying sea life. Uh, you have one-third of humanity killed in number six of the seven trumpets. You have tormenting uh, locusts from the bottomless pit, which is hell. So this is obviously supernatural. Tormenting men five months. And then last of those, you have the Lord declaring the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And then you get into the seven vials. So these happen apparently happen chronologically. So after the seven trumpets are these seven vials that are poured out upon mankind, and these represent the wrath of God. In other words, God, listen now, is punishing the world for their sin, for their wickedness. You know what that tells us? That tells us that what we see increasing more and more and more all around us, we've already discussed those general conditions in which we're living now. But as those things increase more and more, God is not okay with it. And as those increase, God is going to react. He is going to deal with it. These seven vials of the wrath of God are first as grievous sores upon men who worship the Antichrist. The sea becomes blood and all sea creatures die. The rivers and water become blood in answer to the blood of saints and prophets that have been spilled. The sun scorches men with fire. Darkness falls upon the seed of the Antichrist. And then the six and seven deals, deal with preparation for the, the, uh, the final battle of Armageddon when Jesus actually returns physically. Now, you read those things? Have these things happened on the earth ever? No. Are these things far, far worse than the worst thing that you could possibly imagine? Yes. Why is God doing this? There are, there are three reasons. We're not got time to go, go into them all because I have four minutes. The first reason is this. God will punish the world for its sin and pour His wrath upon it. The second reason, God will turn Israel to Christ. Third reason, God will deliver Israel. He'll save them. Remember, they're being persecuted. 
Not just believing Jews, but Jews who do not believe as well. Now look at a couple places in Isaiah as we finish our, portion, our section here. Isaiah chapter 13, if you would. Isaiah chapter 13. Verse 6, get the context. Look at verse 6. Isaiah 11, uh, 13, verse 6. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. All right, so that tells you this is referring to the day of the Lord, which is a reference to partially to Christ's coming. Verse 7, verse 8, talks about the fear involved. Uh, interesting reference at the end of verse 8, their faces shall be as flames. There's, there's reference there to the... Uh, uh, to the plague when the Lord returns. But anyway, verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh both cruel, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger. Notice that. Why is it happening? God's anger. Again, what we see in this world, what we see sinners do, is not okay with God. He's patient right now. Doesn't the Bible say that? He's long-suffering. Just because he doesn't react and pour wrath upon the world now does not mean he's okay with it, which is what most people assume. Well, God's a God of love. Yeah, that's part of it. He is. And he has extended, I would say, quite a generous time to receive his love. To lay, verse 9, to lay the land desolate and he shall destroy the sinners out of it. Look at verse 10. This gives us more of a marker of the time. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. If you look here, that event is on here. Cosmic signs. It's on here. The sun shall be darkened and is going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Verse 11. Now here it is. And I will punish the world for their evil. Now this is not just one small section. God's saying He's going to punish everything, everybody, everyone. And the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. And I will make man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir, which means mankind, there will be, there will be such a loss of life that men will become scarce. Look at chapter 26. Look at chapter 26, verse 21. Uh, Verse 20. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. Now, this is a reference to Israel hiding, right? Hiding for 42 months, 1260 days, until God's indignation is passed. Verse 21. For behold... The Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall be disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. This is the first purpose of the tribulation, the great tribulation. That, that mark of that three and a half year middle point mark is the mark at which God turns his anger toward the earth, toward mankind, not the earth, but the mankind. 
Now, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us very plainly that at the coming of the Lord, there will be great destruction. And God says that he will judge, I'll, I'll read it. I know I'm out of time here, but if you'll just give me a second. I'll just read this verse. Listen to this. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because, listen to this, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. There's the love of God, right? Offered now. And for this cause, because they rejected God's love when it was offered, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There you go. Pleasure in unrighteousness. See, God's going to pour His anger and judgment and punishment physically out on this world in just indescribably horrible ways as is detailed in the book of Revelation. But He's doing it He's doing it after He has offered His salvation plainly, clearly, openly. This love of God in Christ, He's offered it. There is a way of escape. Take it. And people said, no, I, want, I, I love my sin. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. And their desire to fulfill their lust and to continue in sin, they love that more than they love God's offer. Their desire led them to reject the offer of God's love, the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And, and those people that are still alive, that, that come into this time that we're reading about, will, be, will endure God's wrath because they rejected His offer of love. I admit to you, that's a dreadful thought. And the reason why the Lord hasn't returned yet, and I'll show you this in, in later lessons, the reason why that He has not yet returned and He's tarrying, as they say, He's waiting, there's one reason, right? One reason. Because He is patient. And He's giving people the opportunity to respond to the love of the truth. That's what, that's what 2 Peter says plainly. Let's pray together.